بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الله صل على سيدنا نبينا ومولانا محمد وبارك وسلم We are in surah number 36 which is surah yasin أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ياسين والقرآن الحكيم إنك لمن المرسلين على صراط مستقيم This surah comes after surah al-Fatir We mentioned in surah al-Fatir the major theme is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creating without a prototype and it's followed by this surah which is known as Yaseen Prophet sallallahu said everything has a heart and the heart of the Quran is Yaseen so here we see Prophet ﷺ referring to Yaseen as the heart. So now there are many analogies that one may draw from this. But basically since the major themes of the Quran are Tawheed, the oneness of Allah, Risala, Nabuwa, which is prophethood and also the akhirah life after death these three are represented fully in this surah so it's the lifeline if you want it is the Quran in essence that these major themes throw they flow throughout the Quran and just as the heart pumps blood throughout the body likewise the surah pumps out these three major themes and this resonates throughout the body of the Quran and so on this one analogy is another one which says since the heart is a place for emotions and sentiments and all of that I mean in the metaphysical sense, not in the physical sense. Mm-hmm. Then the heart of the Qur'an uh, is in the surah in so many different ways. And almost every ayah there's going to be a sentiment that resonates with the whole of the Qur'an and so on and so forth. But anyway, whatever it is, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned this merit for this surah. As far as the words, the word or the letters Yaseen, there are again several opinions. One is that it is the name of the Prophet ﷺ, and that is perhaps why Muslims name their, some of their children Yaseen as a name, as an alama, a proper noun. Others say it just means insan, and some others say it is now it is from the broken letters whose meanings we don't know. Whatever the case is, it is Yaseen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
wal Quran al Hakim. Allah then swears by the wise Quran. The Quran that is wise, all wise. There are many attributes of the Quran that the Quran mentions itself. The Quran is al Hakim. The Quran is al Kitab al Mubin. The open, clear, manifest book. The Quran is a dhikr, the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Quran is tanzil, which is mentioned here in ayah number five. It's a revelation that comes down from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and so on and so forth. There are so many attributes in the Quran that the Quran mentions. And here the Quran is mentioning an attribute that is al Hakim. Meaning the one that is all. The Quran is full of wisdom. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-Hakim. He is all-wise. So the same sifa that comes for Allah uh, comes for the Quran because uh, they are uh, synonymous. The Quran is Allah's speech. And Allah's speech will reflect what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala represents. So there's also an indication in this terminology that the Qur'an comes down with wise words and wise discussions built on very intellectual paradigms, uh, premises and aqaid, hmm. uh, meaning your theology and so on. So by the wise Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now gives us a sense of why he is saying this, Indeed, you are from the messengers, O Muhammad You are from those who have been sent. Now, immediately, as I mentioned, one of the three themes, major themes of the Quran, is being addressed here. And that major theme being the Risala and Nabuwa and Prophethood. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bringing the reader into the discussion of Nabuwa and Prophethood by declaring that Muhammad وسلم, is indeed a messenger. This is a reference to uh, the, the, um, the Qur'an always reassuring the Prophet وسلم, uh, that uh, you are a messenger and uh, you should not think otherwise no matter how much doubt people okay, throw upon you and how much dirt people uh, throw against you. Uh, you are a messenger, period. Yeah. So the Prophet them being human okay, and being affected by those who would criticize him, ridicule him, deride him, and all of that uh, might be in a sense uh, panicking, might be in a sense feeling that uh, he's not the right person for this job and so on. So this is first and foremost to reassure the Prophet that indeed he is from those who have been sent as messengers from Allah to people. <coughs> indeed, that the message you bring is the straight path and you also are walking onto that straight path. You are abiding by the rules and regulations of that straight path whatever you do, uh, represents and reflects the straight path, meaning that many paths are there. And uh, many forms of meditation 
and forms of worship are there and many forms of human behavior are there and there are many uh, what's it called ideologies and philosophies and culture uh, many cultures of living are there but there's only one straight path and that path is guided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you are walking that path simply because you are from the messengers. Messengers always walk the path that they call towards. They don't have one secret policy for themselves and another policy for public. What they do in private is what is in public and what is in public is in private. They are very transparent. So you being a messenger is one thing but you walking on the path to which you call people is an achievement uh, of yours that you are dedicated to path now you could be on the straight path even without being a nabi or rasul that's possible to many people mashallah, hopefully we are also uh, on a straight path so it could be that you are on a straight path and you are not a messenger but you are on a straight path and you're also a messenger. So here the accolades that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dons the Prophet with are very clear that the straight path is always a path to which prophets call. And what is that? Tanzeel al-Aziz al-Rahim. That is a path that is a revelation from the Supreme and from the All-Merciful. Meaning this path and this Qur'an, which is Al-Hakim, the wise, and you are from the messengers, that you, your message about the straight path is a revelation from the Almighty, Al-Aziz, the Supreme, the one who overwhelms and the one who overpowers everybody else. This is that revelation that uh, he has given you for the sake of uh, other people, for the sake of mankind. So overwhelming and overpowering is the revelation. So, meaning that when you look at uh, and listen to the words of the Qur'an, the words of the Qur'an have an immediate impact on the mind, on the heart, as it did with the Quraysh and the Bedouin Arabs. That when they heard the words of the Qur'an, it, will, it would overpower them in its Arabicness in its literally, uh, literary brilliance and its ingenious phrases and its ability to uh, represent the truth with so many different forms of expression. That is the overwhelming, overpowering revelation. I mean, this revelation, when understood in the original language, which is what we're not doing, but when it's understood in the original language, the Arabicness, okay, the beauty of the Arabic, Arabic, the eloquence and the sheer power of the words that penetrate the mind and the heart were always overwhelming. They had no response or answer to any of the phrases or the words or the whole revelation that the Prophet brought for them. So in this sense, the Quran is also overwhelming, overpowering al-Aziz, supreme, because it's not the speech of man, it is the speech of Allah, 
subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is why uh, we believe it is the speech of Allah because it is overwhelming and overpowering. meaning that the inimitability, the ajaz, the, the Qur'an being a miracle is first and foremost in the language it brings. Yeah. Then secondly, in the details and also in the theology and also in the facts it brings and the way it represents the facts with reality, concrete reality and abstract values, both. Anyway, we can go on and talk more about that uh, some other time. Ar-Rahim, the All-Merciful, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-merciful, that the Qur'an brings a message of might and power, and it also brings a message of Rahmah, yeah, both. So you need might and power, you need to be overwhelming in command of everything, but you also need compassion, and you also need what we call Rahmah, mercy uh, is a very soft uh, very broad translation of the word Rahmah. But there you go. We do as much as we can in the translation. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is Ar-Rahim, He is all-wise, He is all-powerful, and He is all-merciful. When these three attributes are now in a book and in a revelation, then you can imagine the impact of that revelation on the Nabi first, on the Rasul first, okay? because the Rasul is the first one who receives the Wahi, the Qur'an, and this makes him that way also. So when the Qur'an is Al-Hakim, the Prophet ﷺ has Hikmah, and when the Qur'an is Al-Aziz, the Prophet ﷺ has Izzah, meaning he has the power to convince and overwhelm people through his dialogue and through his behavior and through his character. And when the Qur'an is Ar-Rahim, then the Prophet ﷺ is also Ar-Rahim, the merciful. So all the colors of the Qur'an come upon the Prophet ﷺ. And this is to uh, give further testimony to the ayah number three. إِنَّكَ لَا مِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ Indeed you are from those messengers who take on the color of the revelation which then helps you and keeps you on the straight path. So this is how the straight path is maintained and observed and understood by the messenger. So this is to introduce the might and the wisdom and the mercy of the messenger. The purpose of revelation is to reveal the messenger. Then the messenger reveals the revelation. Meaning if the messenger does not take in and become the revelation, then he is not able to impart the revelation. So this is why the word Yaseen, if it means or if it's taken to mean the Prophet ﷺ himself, then perhaps that's a better way to understand that ayah. So this is all about the Prophet ﷺ. This is all about the Mursal, the one who has been sent. This is all about how the messenger receives the wahi, the revelation, and then how he internalizes it, and how he becomes it, and then how he promotes it, and how he propagates it, and how he delivers that. This is all about him. So you understand him, you'll understand the Qur'an, you'll understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
this is the straight path. This methodology is the straight path. So you cannot understand the Quran without understanding the Prophet and not just his seerah but also his sunnah. It's not just the detailed historical events that some of us like to tag on and tag on to. It's more than that. It's the whole sunnah, meaning the wahi matlu, revelation that is recited, and wahi ghair matlu, revelation that is non recited. Both forms of revelation became the Prophet, and that is the straight path. From amongst these revelations is the following the next set of ayat speak of examples of that revelation, the tanzil which comes down from up uh, to down, the tanzil is a descending <coughs> synonym. As it comes down, one of the many purposes of this revelation is the following. So that you may warn a group of people, a community that has not been previously warned as they are in a state of oblivion and they live in ghafla and they live in aversion to the reminder. Yeah. I mean, the Quran is a reminder. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends the Prophet with the Quran to remind people and to warn them about their future, meaning their life after death, that if they behave this way, this is what's going to happen to them when they die. And if they behave another way, something else will happen to them after they die. So this is the warning, so that you may warn people. And which group of people is this? Primarily the Arab. Primarily those who have not been given revelation before. Because the people of the Arab were the last people to be given revelation through the Prophet No Prophet visited the Arab. Because the Arab came from Ismail salam's now offspring. Ibrahim salam was a Nabi. And Ismail was also a Nabi and a Rasul to his tribe. But after that, there were no prophets that came to the peninsula. So, so many thousands of years. So now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying is that the last group of people that are now given this message, they must be warned. And they must be warned of consequences so that they realize that they are now chosen to represent the last Nabi. Right. Why are the, the Arab the last? Because they were chosen to represent the last Nabi. So the Quraysh and then the Ansar, the Aus and the Khazraj and others were then chosen to represent Muhammad وسلم, who is the last of all prophets so that this group, if they take heed and they pay attention to the details of the Quran, uh, then they will be representing the last message on earth. So the last Nabi came to the last group of people who were never warned before uh, for this reason. And there is one reason that is in the, in the world, in the dunya, and that is what I mentioned. Meaning since the Arab were basically clueless, uh, they had basically a very innocent slate uh, in their minds. They didn't know any philosophy. 
they weren't exposed to different sophisticated cultures, even though they might have had trade with the Byzantines and with the Persians and with the people in Yemen and also in, in uh, Ethiopia. But they, they never took on their values. They had their own set of values which were entrenched in tribalism. And within that tribalism, they had some very good values, like being hospitable, like being generous, and uh, you know, making sure that they're people of their word. So now, this is what, when you look into the historical dimensions of this, then you will see that these people uh, who were not exposed previously to any uh, philosophy of life, right? And they really weren't that cultured either. So they weren't really exposed to the sophistications of their time. Uh, they were given this Nabuwa, or this message from Nabuwa, and they were given these details of Wahi and Revelation through the Prophet ﷺ, so that they would internalize these values as theirs. And this is the uh, meaning, one of the meanings of uh, this ayah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose them to represent the last Nabi who came with the last revelation, uh, meaning that the flip side of Allah's, the Prophet's warning them was that if they accepted, they would be the benefactors of humanity. And if they did not take heed, then the warning still stands. And they, they are forewarned. Some of them perished, some of them died, but most of them accepted Islam and accepted the warning that the Prophet brought to them. So this is how now Al-Hakim, the All-Wise, chooses these people. And this is how Al-Aziz, the one who is supreme and overwhelming, chose these people. And this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al-Rahim, the All-Merciful, chose these people. So you bring in all of those values into this group of people through the Prophet who was from them. He was not a non-Arab. Yeah, he is an Arab. And since he's an Arab, he understood the uh, semantics, he understood the language, the culture, he understood the idiosyncrasies, he understood the nuances of the tribal system. And that's how he was able to overwhelm his people through the Quran and through Wahi so that they would guide others in the future. So they became the prototype, right? meaning the Arab of the Hijaz, the peninsula, became the prototype Muslim community that if any other community comes, they will follow this prototype. And they did that, meaning the Sahaba. The Sahaba became this group of people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warned through the Prophet Indeed, the matter, okay, the statement uh, has been um, um, come to pass, has been fulfilled or determined on most of them. So they, they do not believe. Okay. This early on in Mecca, then most of the people in Mecca at that time did not believe. As you know, most people later on did believe. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's and his rahmah, his mercy came upon these people, they accepted Islam, they accepted the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and so on. But the Quran is now giving us a sense of the struggle of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa 
in order to explain the ayah ala siratim mustaqim. What is this straight path that Muhammad is following? Okay. Meaning usually in the face of opposition and against hostility uh, and against persecution, people succumb and people give up. But here Allah Taala is using the Prophet example in Mecca that he was a person of total commitment and uh, fidelity and loyalty towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that uh, they were not able to budge him and they, won't, they were not able to derail him from the straight path no matter what kind of condemnation and what kind of uh, criticism he faced he was able to maintain the path stay on the straight path so the following ayat refer to his perseverance and also refer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's assistance and help in that regard, that when someone's on the straight path and someone is sent as a messenger, the divine help and divine intervention sometimes accompanies him so that he is able to do the work. So there were occasions when they wanted to persecute the Prophet ﷺ, and there were occasions when they wanted to really hurt him physically. So this is one occasion where they came and they, they, they wanted to hurt him and they were uh, camping outside of his house so that they would capture him and seize him and then they planned and they plotted uh, all of that so these ayat speak of that incident inna ja'alna fi a'naqihim aghlalan fahiya ila al-adqani fahum mukhmahoon so in these in the necks of these people we have placed yokes and chains um, so they are now up to their chins and their heads are wedged upwards mm. meaning this referring to the group of Quraysh who came to uh, persecute the Prophet that they had become this way that they were not going to believe and the final word and judgment had already been passed upon them so they were going to do what they were going to do وَجَعَلْنَا مِنْ بَيْنِ أَيْدِيهِمْ سَدًّا وَمِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ سَدًّا فَأَخْشِيْنَاهُمْ وَهُمْ لَا يُفْسِرُونَ And then as they were waiting, uh, we placed in front of them a barrier. And we also placed behind them a barrier. And then we caused them to veil themselves. فَأَخْشِيْنَاهُمْ We caused them to veil themselves. وَهُمْ لَا يُفْسِرُونَ and they did not see. So they couldn't see the Prophet ﷺ, even though he was there. And he walked right by them, and they couldn't see him. They only saw him much later. They were waiting and waiting and waiting until somebody came and said, What are you doing? So they said, We're waiting for Muhammad. Uh, and that person said, He's already in front of the Haram, in front of the Kaaba. He's already in the Haram, in front of the Kaaba. He's already praying, meaning that he uh, was there, uh, but they did not see him. Right. This is the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who is Al-Aziz, the overwhelming and the overpowering and the superior, that he is able to do this. So this is obviously a miracle, a of the Prophet So they then decided that they could not do what they wanted to do 
because they believed he he casted a spell of magic on them. Hmm. Muhammad has used magic to run away from us, so this is not the right time for us to go towards him and capture him and so on. Anyway, so what I'm saying is that Allah's fadl and Allah's rahmah comes upon the messenger in so many different ways and in the ways that uh, we are amazed when we hear these stories that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings his madad, his fadl and his fadl, his assistance and his help upon the messenger so that the message is delivered. So even then, they could have said this is divine intervention and this is a proof that he is a messenger but they chose not to do that because human beings when they become stubborn and when they become fixed on an idea and notion albeit a false one they refuse to give it up and this is how you also see the sense Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not guide them because they had become stubborn and all of this. So now in the in the um, quest to deliver people from the fire of hell, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs the Prophet that he will not be able to save everyone. And his not saving everyone is not a reflection on him. That doesn't mean to say that he failed. It means they failed. So usually when we measure success, uh, in our work and uh, in the world we live in today is usually about whether or not we achieve what it is we set out to do. Okay, so now results are based on results, consequences are based on results, and a kind of result-oriented workforce. If you perform and the result is good, <coughs> then you have a job. And if you perform and the result is no good, then you don't have a job. Yeah. With Nabuwa and Risala and prophethood, it is not that way. Meaning that the result does not dictate whether or not the prophet remains a prophet. Yeah. The only thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks at is the intention and the effort that the Prophet put in to those people. So he did his job, ah, but they did not do theirs. So Allah will reward the Prophet for doing his, and he will punish them for not doing theirs. That's how that works. Yeah. So now, if, if you were to summarize that if a Nabi was not able to convert his own people, then that must be a failure. We say this is nonsense. That's not how the divine works. A Nabi's job is to deliver, period. A Nabi's job is not to convert. So that's why the Prophet said on the Day of Judgment, there will be a Nabi who will have only one person behind him. One person. Right. Now, are you going to say that he failed? If you say he failed, then you're almost a kafir. In fact, you are kafir. That's kufr. Meaning we, we don't judge according to the standards of this world. We judge according to the standards of the akhirah. Will Allah reward this Nabi for the work he did? Sure he will. Will Allah allow this Nabi to go into Jannah? Sure he will. 
then why are you saying it's a failure? Right? So this is why the, 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 I'm explaining this so that you, you understand the next eye in the context of what I'm saying. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He does not judge a Nabi because of people accepting or not accepting His message. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala judges the Nabi based on whether or not he delivers the message in the best way possible. Once that is done, then in the eyes of Allah that Nabi is accepted, that Prophet is accepted. So we must measure Nabuwa prophethood with a standard and a yardstick uh, that we do not measure other human beings with. The two yardsticks and standards are different. So you can't impose your uh, standards of life and leadership and community work based on what the Nabi's standards are. Because the Nabi's standards are dictated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. By wahi. Yours should also be that through the sunnah of the Prophet That you don't have that luxury of wahi to come and tell you you're okay. Inna ka'ala. You are on the right path. Right. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is assuring, reassuring the Prophet in the beginning that although this incident happened, that they came and they wanted to persecute you, if not assassinate you, and they failed, and we stopped them from doing that, that is a clear proof that we are with you and we want you to succeed. And it's a clear proof that we punish them. So that is the Sirat al-Mustaqim. That is how you look at this incident and the revelations uh, up to here so that you get an idea how to evaluate and then judge a Nabi and a Prophet. And the only way to judge a Nabi and a Prophet is the way Allah does. You need Wahi to do that. And you can't do it through your own standards. You have to be careful that you don't get ahead of yourselves. Now obviously in, in, in the light of community work and community welfare, uh, we should be somewhat driven by results, no doubt. We don't want to fail in anything we do, but at the end of the day, it's all about reward in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You must leave some portion of your nafs for the akhirah. I'm doing this and nobody listens. Well, maybe Allah listens and Allah reward you. Right. So you can't always be happy and merry when you're doing Islamic work. There are hurdles and there are obstacles and sometimes you succeed and sometimes you fail. What are you going to do? Are you going to give up the work? Maybe, maybe not. Only Allah knows. So the next ayah is this. And it is the same for them. Whether you warn them or you don't warn them, they are not going to believe. So here Allah Taala is informing the Prophet that whether you do your job or you don't do your job, those who have been destined not to believe will not believe. Yeah. Yeah. So now the flip side of this is that Allah doesn't say, It's the same to you. It's not the same to you. You must deliver the message. You must warn and you must continue delivering the message no matter what they do. 
What they do is not in your hands. What you do is in your hands. So you must continue to warn and continue to inform and continue to deliver the message. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be with you and he'll be with those who are in the following way. إِنَّمَا تُنْذِرُ مَنِ اتَّبَعَ الذِّكْرَ وَخَشِيَ الرَّحْمَانَ بِالْغَيْبِ فَبَشِّرْهُ بِمَغْفِرَةٍ وَأَجْرٍ كَرِيمٍ Indeed, you warn those who follow the remembrance, the dhikr. Those who follow the dhikr, meaning the Qur'an, those who follow the reminder, meaning the Qur'an, you are warning them. Okay? You're not warning someone who uh, doesn't want to be warned, and someone who doesn't want to believe. You are warning them in whose hearts there is an inclination towards the truth and towards being reminded. And then, based on that, that they fear the Rahman uh, in absentia, in the ghaib. They can't see him, but they fear him. Right, he's not tangible. That you can uh, feel him and you can see him and you can have a dialogue with him. It's all bil ghaib. It's in the ghaib. It's in the unseen. Yeah. So they fear the Rahman. So the the insertion of the sifa Rahman is in, uh, interesting and intriguing that the Rahman should be feared. Usually when Muslims say Rahman, they take the Rahman to be very, very merciful. This ayah says, the Rahman should be feared. Right? Out of awe and out of respect. So there's an awe that comes with the presence of people who are in might and power and authority. When you go and visit your company leader, or your CEO, or whoever it is you work for, uh, if you work for yourself, then you probably fear the people who are your subordinates. Huh? where you take the paycheck home. Ah, you're going to fear someone. So there's a presence in those who have authority. And those who have authority, if they are now following the Qur'an Sunnah, they will take responsibility for their subordinates also. Here we see that the message of warning you must remember that when, when the Qur'an speaks about warning, one is that the Qur'an is warning about the ultimate fate. That is, after you die, if you do not act upon the commandments of Allah, if you don't believe in Him, and you commit shirk, then there is punishment. That's a warning. But that's after you die. So that's a major warning. That's the macro warning. And there's minor and micro warnings also that the Prophet brought to his people, meaning that if you behave this way on earth, then this will happen on earth, which is what we did last week. The last few ayahs of the last passage, the last surah, uh, spoke about this. So here we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is indeed the Rahman. He is the all-compassionate. But with His awe and presence, uh, you must be intimidated by the awe and presence of the divine, and that is out of adab, that you have this fear, uh, not that you're nonchalant, meaning the higher the authority, the more respect you should show. You can't be nonchalant uh, in front of someone who's going to give you jannah. Right? 
if he's going to give you eternal bliss, you know, say, okay, I'm going to be buddy buddies with him. No, you have to respect that. So that this dawns upon you when you meet him. But here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that these people, they fear him before they meet him. Bil ghaib. Through the unseen. So it is the unseen being and the unseen presence that people who follow uh, the warning and take heed of the remembrance that, that uh, that's what they do. فَبَشِّرْهُ بِمَغْفِرَةٍ Now, as a response to this, as a result of this fear, Allah says to the Prophet ﷺ, now give them glide tidings. You warn them when they take heed and they start fearing Allah, then you give them glad tidings. Good news. فَبَشِّرْهُ Give them good news. So the warning is going to be now uh, followed by Good news. So now the Quran becomes Bashir and Nadir. The Prophet Sassam becomes Bashir, the one who gives good news, and the one who warns both are now uh, summarized uh, by this ayah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Prophet وسلم, to do both to give warning and to give good news. So the Quran now instills fear so that you are ready for the good news. You have to be prepared for the good news. But the only way you can prepare for the good news is if you have a certain amount of fear and respect for the divine, for the divine presence, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his superiority, his presence, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, and so on. فَبَشِّرْهُ بِمَغْفِرَةٍ Give them good news and glad tidings of what we call مَغْفِرَةٍ مَغْفِرَةٍ means forgiveness, total forgiveness for their sins and for their mistakes and so on. So the Qur'an acknowledges that the Rahman is there. If you hold him in respect and awe, he will give you good news and then he will forgive you. Meaning as a human being, you are going to make mistakes and you are going to sin. That's what's implied. That who is the one that is going to forgive you as human beings? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then on top of that forgiveness, وَأَجْرٍ كَرِيمٍ very noble and generous reward is there in store for these people who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while he is uh, outside of their scope of understanding outside of their scope of perception <coughs> and outside of their scope of conception all of that sometimes we sit down we want to understand how Allah works or why he does this You can't go there. You'll fail miserably. You can never understand how Allah works. He works the way He works. That's why you worship Him. That's why He's God and you're not God. That's why He's divine and you're human. So you have to appreciate that life is all about anomalies. And in our minds sometimes inconsistencies. Those inconsistencies become consistent in the other world. You can't always understand life. Even if you're an atheist, you're going to have some paradox that you're battling with. Uh, you're going to have some frustration uh, that is now impeding you. Um, so whether you believe in God or don't, you're going to have this as part of life. Now, the benefit of believing in a higher power, superior power, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is that he will 
now let go of these inconsistencies in you, meaning your sins. And then he will not just pardon you, he will give you a, a very noble and a very generous reward, and that is eternal bliss. But this is in the ghaib. This is now you have to wait for it. It's not immediate, and if you want something immediately, then that's not going to happen. In this world, you have to wait until you die. Indeed, it is we who give life to the death, to the dead. Meaning you will all die, and when you die, you will then be uh, pushed into a world where it's going to take you closer to the divine, meaning the barzakh, uh, meaning the world of graves, and then on the day of judgment, when you are resurrected, then you then meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At that time, he will no longer be in the ghaib. There will be some element of manifestation, and you will get to talk uh, to him, and he will talk to you. When that happens, then you must be prepared with your life in front of him. So that, that awe okay, and that respect must come in. So Allah says, we are the ones who give life to the dead. So Allah is the one who revives the dead. Everybody's going to die. That is a certainty. And everybody will be resurrected. That's also a certainty. When that happens, And we inscribe and we write the deeds, whatever they have sent forward. And also, along with their athar, their legacies of good and evil. Whatever a human being has achieved in the world and earned in the world will be presented and represented in front of him uh, on the day of judgment where the angels will bear witness and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then uh, be there to judge and see where this one is supposed to be placed uh, and so on. So this is a reference to the akhirah to the hereafter where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bringing the reader to the ultimate reality of life after death. And in the life after death there are rules and regulations and those rules and regulations come through the institution of Nabu'a and prophethood. It's the prophet who tells you how you will be when you meet Allah. There's no other institution that can tell you that. There's no science, and there's no skill set, and there's no discipline, there's no uh, academic, uh, um, what do you call it, a paradigm. There's no philosophy that tells you what's going to happen to you after you die, except wahi. And wahi came to the Nabi and to the Prophet ﷺ. So you must follow what is in wahi if you want to be someone who is going to be successful uh, here and there. And everything we have accounted for. Okay? And we have enumerated and we have now corralled everything we have encompassed in one open, clear book or ledger. Imam here means a book. That we have gathered all of this information, collected all of this information, entered all of this information in one ledger, in one record, and that will be po that will be presented to you as a human being in front of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Okay. 
So this is now the Sirat al-Mustaqim. And this is the right path uh, to which all prophets called. And this is the right path that the Prophet was following. And this is the right path upon which the Sahaba also came. And this is how we see that the beginning of Surah Yasin, which, uh, as I have said in my uh, limited understanding, seems to be about the Prophet himself. Uh, we see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presents his Nabi and his Rasul uh, through these names and attributes and gives us examples from the seerah as to how he helped him and how he intervened and how he protected him from the menaces of society and then how that should be used to propel oneself towards the akhirah. That this is a story from the seerah of the Prophet وسلم, uh, through which you engage in the akhirah. Sometimes when we read seerah, we want the seerah to relate to our lives here. But here the Quran takes on another dimension of the seerah and says, use this part of the seerah to think about your akhirah, which is your ultimate destination. If we do that, then we are from those who follow the dhikr. إِنَّمَا تُنْذِرُ مَنِ اتَّبَعَ Only those whom you are warning are those who follow the dhikr, the reminder. And uh, inshallah, we make dua Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to do this. Ameen ya rabbal alameen. Jazakumullah We'll have salat in 10 minutes here. Subhanallah alhamdulillah.